Hey guys, this is Jared Causey, and you're listening to Causey's Conversations. And welcome back to Causey's Conversations. My name is Jared Causey. Uh, as the intro said, it's good to be back. It's good to be with you. So today, um, I, as promised, uh, the, in my first episode back from the hiatus, the that episode I mentioned that I will be getting a guest on to to help me do the podcast, help me with this podcast, and uh, talk about fun things that interest them. So I was able to get a guest, and that guest is Mr. C.S. Lewis himself, Clayton Carver. Um, he is here in the house. Um, he comes here about once a week. So um, Clayton, welcome back to the show, this very major show. Yes, well, thank you for having me. It feels honored to be on here as a now a veteran guest, I, I guess. You are. I think you've been on here the most. This will be my third time. Third time, yeah. So, I've had I've had another um few guys on. Let's see Grant and Steven. Uh they've been on a few times, but I think third I don't think they've been on the third time though. So, you have the record now. Hey, that's what, so, I, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, so it's it and honestly, I think one I don't remember which one it was, either Progressive Christianity Part 1 or 2, like it destroyed. Like it was the best episode. I'm pretty sure. I I I'd have to go back and see, but I'm pretty sure it was like the best. So, yeah. Anyway, so we're not talking about progressive Christianity. We're actually talking about uh, C.S. Lewis, as I said in the, in the introduction there. I uh, mentioned that... Who was not a progressive Christian. <laughs> he was a liberal. Let's, just get over it. Let's, let's get that straight right now. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, we'll definitely talk about that a lot. Um, so, you know, C.S. Lewis is not a... An, he's not my favorite author, but I've definitely been impacted by him. I've read his stuff. I love his... Uh, a lot of his writings, um, but you, on the other hand, you love him. Like that's you're probably gonna name one of your kids after him. I assume. Probably not. He's got some weird names, yeah. but um, yeah, yeah, that's my dude. That's yeah, my dude. That's, yeah, if you know Clayton, you know he loves Jesus. He loves basketball, and he loves uh, C.S. Lewis. And then you love the Cardinals or something. I like do, that. I yeah. do. But I have I have two T-shirts. I have one T-shirt with his signature, C.S. Lewis, and then I have another T-shirt that says hashtag Clive. Oh, yeah. That my brother got me for Christmas one time because he thought it would be funny. So tell the the audience about Clive. What's what, so why? Clive? So Clive is the C in C.S. Lewis. His name yeah. his his official name is Clive Staples Lewis, um, but he always went by Jack. His his friends called him Jack, and that's what he went by. Okay, so so if, so if if we refer to him as Jack, you'll if I say Jack, yeah. it means C.S. Lewis because yeah. I probably will. And same thing with Clive. He mentions Clive, yeah. C.S. Lewis. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so yes, obviously probably our listeners know who C.S. Lewis is. They might know a lot about him, know the things he's written about, and they're familiar with his theology perhaps. But, um, you know, first off, I want to kick around the question. So, like, why exactly do you love C.S. Lewis? Well, I love Lewis for a few different reasons, uh, mainly because uh, the... Not just the skill of his writings, but the the depth of his thought. I know some people, I've heard some people say that Lewis is not a very deep writer. And I couldn't disagree with that more. What they, what they fail to realize is that just because you're clear doesn't mean you're not deep. And um, Lewis is a deep writer, but he's also a dense writer. So Lewis has this ability to take these incredibly deep, thoughts because he was a professor at oxford you know the the leading university in the world i mean he's not he's not just some some lifeway christian living author in washington you know <laughs> That's good. like lifeway, i worked yeah. at lifeway i can say that oh, um gosh. you know just yeah just writing in a coffee shop like he is right. a full-fledged oxford educated and spent 30 years teaching at oxford and at cambridge um, he has a chair named after him at Cambridge that is still there today. So he is a first-rate academic. But he had this ability to take those level of thoughts and write them at a level that the blue-collar worker in 20th century England could understand. And that was his brilliance. And that's why I like him so much, is he has this way of bridging the gap between the ivory tower and the local church pew 
um, and really letting people grasp those gems that, that he's taken a lot of time to think about. So he's deep in that way, but he's also dense. And what I mean by that is because all of his um, writing is so clear, um, it's clear because he's broken it down so much that every single sentence you read from Lewis builds on each other. Mm. So you can't just, there's a lot of books out there today with a lot of fluff, and then there's a gem every few paragraphs. I'm like, oh, there's a good thought. But that's not how Lewis writes. Every single sentence matters, and it's building on it. And you're reading these sentences piece by piece, and eventually you get to the end of the chapter, and he has that line that puts it all together, and you see what he was building. You see the house that he was building, and it's brilliant. And he has this ability to break it down piece by piece and walk you through it so that people can follow a, a deep thought. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you said about kind of bridging the gap between the academic and the in the pew, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, I mean, if you meet someone that just became a believer and and you ask them, like, have you read any Christian books? And they say yes, more than likely they'll say one of the Christian books they've they've read other than the Bible, obviously. They'll say they've read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying that's his most profound work or anything or his most important work, but what I am saying is, like, I definitely... I, I see that in the local church because everyone knows who C.S. Lewis is, and they also know what he's written. So obviously he's take he's interacted both in the academic field and in the church pews, and he's obviously helped communicate a lot of those ideas, those deep ideas to people. So I I could definitely see that for sure. And I mean, in myself, I I read Mere Christianity when I was a, a teenager. Mm -hmm. You know, most most teenagers can read his. His mere Christianity book, maybe not all of it, the books that he's written, they'll read, but but mere Christianity at the very least, and obviously like Chronicles of Narnia and some other books there. But oh yeah, everybody knows Narnia for yeah, sure. Yeah, everyone knows. Yeah, and that's another thing. It's like he, he's very, very you know famous for that series. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's that's awesome. Any so anything you want to add to that? Like why you would love, why why you love, why you profess love for C.S. Lewis? Lewis. Or well, that that's really the thing. I mean, it's. It's not that I think everything he says is is brilliant. I mean, I don't think everything he says is right. There's plenty of stuff okay. theologically that I disagree with Lewis on. Yeah, and so we'll it's not it. it's yeah. not a it's not a um, blind allegiance. Right, right. Yeah, and that's but that's it's good. just yeah, yeah, it's just the it's just being in a PhD program, being at a seminary, being in the academic world. It's so comforting to know that there is a way to think deeply and write. Clearly. There's a way to think deeply and help the person who isn't who isn't stupid. They're not dumb. Right. But but in the academic world, you've been trained to think on a certain level. It's 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 a skill that's that's taught. It's not like a I'm not just naturally smarter than other people. They they teach you to think differently. So you're you're, you're... <laughs> You're smarter than everyone else now. That's because you've been taught. No, 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 no. I, 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 you know, yeah. Not even that. It's just, it's just they, they. It, it, it's like, like you go, like a, like a, like a, a military person goes to boot camp. Right. And they have to break your mind and your body down, and then they build it back up. And right. Right. It's, it's the same way with the PhD program. They break your mind down to view things differently and ask certain questions. And Lewis had a mind like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he had it so well that he was still able to bring it to the person who hasn't been trained that way. And especially in, in 2021 where we're, we're living in, I mean, I don't want to be insulting, but man, a social media world is not a, is not a well-thinking world, right? <laughs> no kidding. And well. So a, a, per, a person who can think well and then articulate those thoughts that someone else can follow them, it can be a huge asset. And then being logically consistent. Absolutely. Biblical and I mean all those things. It's very important and, yeah. and good when you can when you can see that. I mean, obviously I mean when I meet church members, I, I've rarely met someone that I would say is unintelligent. Right. Most people are very intelligent people. They're right. just like you said, they haven't been trained to think critically. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. On it's, an it's not a slide on them because I look at myself from three years ago and going, I never would have thought to ask exactly. that question that popped right. in my head just now. Three years ago, right? Because it's just it's it's just like any any other sort of training or skill that you develop, right? And, and Lewis had that skill developed, and he developed it better than others, um, in a way that again, I think I think the real 
test that you have, and Lewis even said this in an essay on apologetics, the real test that you know what you're talking about is that you can explain it to somebody who doesn't know what you're talking about. If you can teach it well, yeah, yeah and, and help others, yeah, absolutely, that's great. Um, te- you know, his teaching ability, I mean, I've, I've obviously never sat in one of his classes, and you not you haven't either, but I wonder yeah. what his classes would be like. Well, actually, so if you're familiar with John Lennox, John Lennox is mm-hmm. very popular. Right. He's a mathematician at Oxford and also pretty well known in apologetic circles that, that I study in. Um, he actually sat in on a lecture with Lewis when he okay. was at Oxford. And he, so our, so Lewis was a professor of literature. That's what his training was. He wasn't a philosopher. He wasn't a theologian. He makes that clear in his books. And Lennox was studying mathematics, so he didn't have him as a professor, but he knew Lewis was at Oxford and he wanted to go hear him. And this was the early 60s, so this was toward the end of Lewis's life, and he wanted to go hear him. Or it might have been at Cambridge. Sorry. Either way. It was at one of them. <laughs> but um, he goes in and... He sits down and he goes, and this is, it's one of the big lecture halls that seats a couple hundred people and every seat's taken. He says, people are sitting on the stairs in the aisle because, oh, they, wow. because they want to hear this guy. He's right. that good of a lecturer. Um, and there's actually some of his lectures that have survived and they're on YouTube and you can go find them. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he said that Lewis would, um, he just burst open the doors at the, on the floor by the lectern, would come in and the moment he would walk in, he would start lecturing. And he would be taking his hat off and his jacket and his scarf off. And he's already lecturing. He's lecturing the whole hour or two hours or however long the class was. And when it came time for the end of his lecture, for the end of the class, he would start putting his coat on and putting his scarf on, still lecturing, and lecture all the way out the door and be done. No <laughs> so he would talk to his students? No, no, because he was lecturing the moment he walked in the door. He had that much to tell people. And they were just eating it up every second of it. Right. Okay, wow, that's awesome. That's a cool story. I, that's Something I never, I never, I've never heard that story before. And mm-hmm. I know, I know of John Lennox, I like some of his stuff, but um, that's cool. Well, so, you know, we're talking about him lecturing at the end of his life, but kind of go back and, and tell listeners, kind of maybe give them a summary of his life. Like, what are his, what are kind of touch on those high points of his life and describe that for us? So, Lewis was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and he was born into a family that was. A Christian family, but there's some debate on how serious they took it. Um, I think his mother was, from what I understand, his mother was pretty pretty serious about her faith and taught him and his brother his brother warning um, about the faith. I mean, their father was a Christian too. They were part of the Church of Ireland and um, involved in that. His father was a very well-known businessman. Um, his grandfather, fun fact, actually owned the shipyard where the Titanic was built. Okay, wow. And um, so it's actually, yeah, so Lewis, you know, he would he would grow up in his house in Belfast, and their house looked down on that shipyard, and he could look down and see the Titanic being built. Because he was born in 1898, so he would have been 13 or 14 right. when that ship was launched. Um, so grew up there, um, came to England to go to school. Um, when he, His mother died at nine. And his father shipped him off to England to go to school. Um, and ever ever since his mother died, him and his father never really had a great relationship. Oh, um, okay. It kind of, um, yeah, it was just rocky to say the least. And, yeah. and Lewis's view of that shifted as he got older, but still. Um, went off to Oxford in 1914, uh, 1914, 1915. Um, and then, of course, World War I happens. Um, by 1917, Lewis is in France on the Western Front and fighting in the war. Um, he had a best friend named Patty Moore um, with him, and Patty was killed in the line of duty, and, and Lewis comes back and is a staunch atheist at this point. Okay. Does not believe in God. Um, so the war changed him. Yeah, he was already kind of doubting after his mother died. He was kind of struggling, and then the war just smashed any bit of faith that he had. Okay. Um, so, comes back. He's an atheist, um, but begins teaching literature um, and some philosophy at Oxford, and but starts to make friends with these people that we would eventually become to know as the Inklings. Yeah. This included J.R.R. Tolkien, Owen Barfield, Charles Williams, and and very profound Christian thinkers. Right. But Lewis was still an atheist, but they were friends, and they would think, and they would talk, and 
they would write and they would critique each other and and Tolkien and Barfield and all these guys you know they they would talk to him and they knew he was an atheist and they would question it and they would ask him hard questions and that eventually there's a it's a legendary story now that in Lewis's offices at Oxford um, it was him and Tolkien and Hugo Dyson and they're talking till about four in the morning about um, Christianity and and Tolkien takes the approach that he's going to try and relate the Christian faith to literature and mm. so something that Lewis would understand and Lewis was big into mythology particularly Norse mythology mm -hmm. and he started Tolkien started talking about the idea of myth and what a myth is and what it does and um, and he starts to explain Christianity as the true myth as a myth that came true and that the best part of it is that it's real and that it happened and um, that really shook Lewis yeah and a little while later he notes in his autobiography surprised by joy eventually he could not fight it anymore and he said he fell to his knees in his office and became quote the most reluctant convert in england <laughs> which is a yeah. very interesting phrase that he, right. did, he couldn't help but believe that it was true right right um, so that was about there's some debate um i think lewis says it was 1929 um some some people like alistair mcgrath think it was probably more 1930 um because lewis was recounting it later okay um, so but that's kind of when he converts and so begins about a 30 years of some of the most brilliant Christian writing of the 20th century. Yeah. So when throughout that period after he became a Christian, um, like how did that change his career or did it change his career, I guess? And if it did, um, how did it, how did it change? Well, it, well, it certainly changed him. Right. I mean, he kept, he kept his same position at Oxford and, um, taught and lectured, but he began writing and thinking about a lot of new things. And a lot of his, a lot of his Christian writing is very popular level stuff, um, to the point where eventually he gets asked by the BBC radio in England to come and do some radio talks during World War II. And the morale in England is really low. This is a, this is, um, I think 1942 is when he first gets asked so i mean I, the war is very bleak and he comes and gets asked to do these radio talks and he does a whole bunch of them over the next couple of years um, and those eventually turn into the book mere christianity that's what that book is is those the transcripts of those radio talks mm -hmm. right and if you've read mere christianity you can kind of feel it's very conversational because it was first something that he was speaking to people not that he was writing to people yeah um so that's that's kind of what affected him is that he he started getting outside of the realm of oxford into um really impacting other people now he was never even really seeking to be some famous christian writer right he was just writing on things that he felt were important and frankly nobody said those things better than he did which right. is why they took off right and so so going back to his conversion uh, what church did he join? Uh, what was he like? Um... So his buddy Tolkien is obviously Catholic, and that's where he wanted him to go. But he ended up in the Anglican Church. Right, Church, was, church of England. Yeah, Church yeah. of England. Was a lifelong Anglican. Um, this was back when Anglicanism was actually still pretty solid. You had guys like John Stott and Martin, right. and Martin Lowe Jones was Anglican, wasn't he? Or was he Baptist? Uh, wasn't he Presbyterian? Or was he? Okay. I think so. Well, John Stott was Anglican. I know that. John's, yeah, for yeah. Sure. and J.R. So, Packer as well. Yeah, so it was very solid back then. and um, But was always a layman, was never trained theologically, um, but yet just had an ability to think so well about Scripture and, and, and his faith that he was able to articulate things in a way that nobody else had before. I mean, to where he's even giving lectures at the Anglicans like, the, their pastor's convention, the equivalent to the SBC convention for the Anglican Church. Right. And he's teaching at that. Right, right. You know? So, back up, Martin, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones um, was a pastor, a minister in the 
evangelical free church. Okay, gotcha. So, well, I mean, and that's kind of a very... Uh, gotcha. A, I would say that's not a very popular um, denomination. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Anglicanism, I mean, the Church of England is a very popular movement in that day, especially. But, um, so yeah, cool. I mean, that's, that's cool. Um, obviously, Lewis was... Um, see, I mean, from, from my, like, in my understanding, he seems to be very committed to the Church of England, um, but ha- how did that, that, maybe that contention between the Church of England and Roman Catholicism, maybe, how did that, you know, affect his relationship that you know of with Tolkien, if, if you know that? It did, um, not so much, I mean, Tolkien made no qualms about it, that he wanted Lewis to be Catholic, because he thought Catholic, the Catholicism was true. Right. Um, but it didn't, they had a great friendship and I don't think it ever really got in the way of that because I think at the end of the day, Tolkien was just happy that he was a believer. Yeah. Gotcha. So he taught at, um, at Oxford for the rest of his life. He taught at Oxford till about, um, I want to say the early fifties, about the time he started writing Narnia, I think 1952 around there. Um, so the thing about it was is that he was an Oxford Don, but he was never, ever made a full professor at Oxford. Um, And there's a lot of debate about that. Frankly, I think it was out of jealousy. Um, At Oxford... So here's the thing. In in a place like Oxford, in a lot of academic circles, being popular and having a lot of popular-level works is highly frowned upon. Okay, yeah. And the there was frankly a real snobbiness about it to where we're academics and these blue collar people shouldn't be able to understand our thoughts they're just too complex right so you you take pride in writing these obscure works that nobody else knows about outside of your nerd friends yeah outside of the campus and right and lewis just wasn't about that lewis was about helping people um, Which is what yeah. academia is for. It's yes, to train. Lewis people. Lewis was very high on discipleship. He has his his sermon, "The Weight of Glory," which is now a book, "The Weight of Glory," is one of the greatest arguments I've ever I've ever read for the value of Christian discipleship. It's incredible. Right. Um, but they just they just I, fr- I think frankly they were jealous that people were that he was able to co- connect with people like that and they weren't. So eventually in the 1950s, Cambridge was like, well, dude, not only will we make you a professor, we will make you the chair of our English literature department. Right. We'll hand you the keys to the yeah. kingdom. <laughs> so yeah. he goes over there right. and right. becomes the chair. It's it's still to this day called the C.S. Lewis Chair of English Literature or something like that. Yeah. And I think four or five people have held it, and there's somebody still today that's the C.S. Lewis Chair of whatever. And, yeah, yeah. and he wrote a textbook called... History of English Literature in the 16th Century, where he read, literally, in the 16th century, so the 1500s, every single book written in English in that century. Oh, wow. Apart from drama. So, apart from, like, Shakespeare. Okay. So, he didn't read any drama, but any poetry, fiction, Not anything yet. written in English in that century, he read and wrote a textbook on it. And Cambridge still uses that textbook for that class today. Wow, that's fascinating. Cool. So, so... He, he taught at Cambridge. He finished out uh, his career at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I assume that's where John Lennox probably saw it. Probably at Cambridge, yeah. yeah. So I, I think he went back and forth for a little while, but oh, eventually okay. he ended gotcha. up at Cambridge and right. yeah, was um, taught there until he died. Died November twenty second, 1963. That date should stick out to Americans because that's the same day that JFK was assassinated. Right, right. Died the same day, likely in the same hour. Wow. So yeah, so yeah. it's actually very famous because three, so three people died on that day: C.S. Lewis, um, J.F.K., and um, wow, now the third guy escapes. Okay, me. he wrote *Brave New World*. I can't remember. His oh name. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is it Huxley? Aldous Huxley. Huxley, yeah. Yeah, Huxley. all three of them died on the same day. Yeah, *Brave New World*. That's a that's another podcast for another. Mm. That's a very fascinating book. But anyway, going going back to C.S. Lewis, of course. Um, so how old was he? Was he what? Uh, what, that, what was that? How old is that? Like 60? When he died? Yeah, was it? About 64. 64, okay. So, how did he die? He... Oh, how did he die? I want to say he had like a kidney disease or something He had like a kidney that. disease? Okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So, some some illness like that. Gotcha. Yeah, so, he got sick. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, that's relatively yeah. young. I mean... Relatively young. I also think... 
So he got married later in life. Okay. Um, and his wife died of cancer in 1960. Okay. And they were only married for about four years, and she had cancer when they got married. Oh, um, okay. And, he, and okay. he married her. It's it's a really fascinating story. Um, and I think losing her really, he kind of health wise kind of declined after that. I, I I personally think that probably played into a lot of it too. Yeah, just the uh, mental state, emotional yeah, state. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Gotcha. So. It, what sticks out when people talk about the major works, obviously, Mere Christianity is in there, the Chronicles of Narnia. What are, other than those two, I guess, what are some of his major works that, that Christians or just people in general uh, would benefit from? Yeah, so yeah, Mere Christianity, obviously. Um, Christianity Today, a few years ago, well, I guess about 20 years ago now, they did the top 100 Christian books of the 20th century, and Mere Christianity was the number one book. Okay. So that obviously had an impact on Not people. surprised, yeah. Yeah, so if you're looking to start at Lewis, you either start at Narnia if you're a fiction fan, or if you're a non-fiction fan, you need to start at Mere Christianity. That's just yeah. for sure, because right. that just lays the framework for his for his worldview. Um, also, another one of my favorites, and another popular one, is called The Screwtape Letters, um, mm-hmm. which is written in a very unique format. So it's written... As from the perspective of a demon writing these letters to his nephew, who's also a demon, mm-hmm. who has just been assigned a human to to watch over and right. to torment and keep keep away from the faith. But unfortunately, the guy ends up getting saved. So now the strategy shifts, and to keep that faith as futile and useless as possible. Um, and it's it is a incredible perspective on spiritual warfare and okay. incredible perspective on temptation and sin and struggle and that's that's another popular one um, but he just he he writes on such a wide range of things there's something for everybody in Lewis there's fiction there's nonfiction there's some poetry there's um, philosophy there's theology there's um, education analysis and the abolition of man and okay. there's yeah, just the, he he just writes on any, almost anything and everything. Right, right. So, so what is probably well? You said um, you're. Did you, did, I don't know. You have to go back and, and remind me. Did you say that the, um, the screw tape letters is that your favorite? You said it, it's up there. My personal favorite is a book called A Grief Observed, which okay. is his journal entries after his wife died. Oh, okay. So it's he wrote a book in the in 1941. 42 called the problem of pain which is a very academic approach to the problem of evil um it's very good Mm -hmm. but then after his wife died about 20 years later he's grieving and he starts journaling in this spare notebook that he has um and somebody got a hold of it and said you know jack you've got to publish this um so he does and it's a funny story so i'm going to tell it he publishes it um as a grief observed it's only four chapters it's very short but man is it powerful he publishes it under the name N.W. Clerk because he doesn't want anybody to know that it was his. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So it gets published and it's selling and it's selling in the bookstore at Oxford, and so and naturally Lewis has his buddies go into the bookstore and look around and they see this book mm-hmm. called A Grief Observed, and they know that Jack just lost his wife and they read it and they're like this is really good this might help Jack. So they buy it for him. <laughs> so when Lewis died, they, they, they noticed at the Kilns, which is his house, that there's just dozens of copies of this book, A Grief Observed, because people bought it for him not knowing that he was the one that wrote it. So when did he come out and say, oh, it was, or, well, I guess it was after his death that it yeah, became known. I think people were like, hey, by the way. Yeah. It was him. Yeah, they, oh, they changed it. If you buy it now, it's it's it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's C.S. Lewis, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised he, he went that long, mm-hmm. you know, with... Yeah, I mean it wasn't that long, but it was a few years, yeah. I guess. Well, he didn't. He, Lewis was very big on charity, so if he felt like you were trying to be encouraging or you were needing some encouragement, he was not going to do something to ruin that. So my guess is he's seeing, oh, my, my friends are trying to help me. I'm not going to rob them of the joy of helping their friends, so I'm not going to say anything. Okay, you I know, got you. Th- think, things of that nature. Charity was a huge virtue for Lewis. Gotcha. So is so his theology, I mean, is probably more systematic in the problem of pain. I see, yeah, the or, problem of pain is a very philosophical, academic okay. approach to the problem. Is there any change in his theology that you can see between problem of pain and... and, and um, um, 
the uh, Reef Observed? I, I'm sure there is. I, I have to really do a, a more comparison of the works side by side, but because it's just it's two different approaches. The problem of pain is a logical the 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 mind answer, right. whereas right. Grief Observed, he's now experiencing it. And right. I know those those are very different approaches to the problem, and and you you read him, and I mean the the first line of the book is nobody ever told me grief felt so like fear. So, I mean, it's very raw well, and it's very yeah. at the heart. And he says, he says something in the first chapter that, um, he says, I'm not, I'm not in any danger of not believing in God. He goes, it's not like this problem is not going to make me say, well, there's not a God out there. It's too ingrained in him. Right. Um, right. he goes, what I'm in danger of is coming to believe such awful things about God to say that, Oh, so this is what God is really like. Um, so that's what he was at risk of is letting it not change if he believed in God, but changing what God he believed in. And as somebody who grew up in Christianity, I relate to that a ton. I don't think it's possible for me at this point to be an atheist. I think just raw theism is too ingrained in me and specifically Christianity is too ingrained in me, but I might be at risk of having some bad beliefs about God that aren't accurate based on my experiences. Gotcha. Um, so that's something that's very relatable for me. Yeah, like what? Like what, what would be some, some of those examples? Well, just, I mean, just I mean, just to use Lewis' example, let's let's say some horrific tragedy and I lose someone very close to me and I I, I tend to believe that maybe God's kind of full of it when he, when he talks about that love and grace stuff. Maybe he's a little more egotistical and maybe it's more of the, I'm God, I do what I want, and you just kind of got to deal with it. And yeah, I'll save you, but... You, yeah. you just kind of got to deal with me. I You're forgot. on your own. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like that. Or, or you know, that, that God is a little more cold or that God is... I think a lot of people in our generation struggle with this one, and I do too, that sometimes when you really get in a season where you just can't get over your, your sin, that you kind of just get the sense that God is tolerating you. Right, right. And, and not and not what Scripture tells us, that you've been a, that you've been willfully adopted into the family of God when he didn't have to do that. Right. And why would he adopt somebody that he's just going to be like, all right, now leave me alone at this point. You know, that, that, that's not what the Bible says God is. But sometimes we, we, we get into that mindset. And it's usually because we're focusing too much on ourselves and we're not focusing on who God is, which is why Hebrews says, set your mind on things above and not on Right. Him. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's another thing I didn't know about C.S. Lewis. I didn't, I didn't even know about that, that, that piece that he wrote uh, towards the end of his life um, about grief. Um, I'll have to I'll have to get that, um, you know, just for the for the future. Um, so, you know, you talked about you're in the PhD program here at Southwestern. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure listeners probably know that if they've listened to to your earlier podcasts uh, with me. Um, so, your dissertation is definitely <clears throat> related to C.S. Lewis. Tell tell listeners about that dissertation, how it relates to C.S. Lewis, um, and so forth. Sure. So I am going to write on this fascinating idea. I think it's fascinating idea that Lewis has in mere Christianity, in the weight of glory, in a couple other spots. And the the term for it now is called the argument from desire. Now, Lewis never called it that. Lewis never called it anything because it was just, it was never really a formal argument. It's just kind of an idea. Yeah, raw. He's kind of, he almost mentions it in passing. Um, But. A critic of his later termed it the argument from desire so we can have a name for it and people just kind of went with it. I don't think it's the best name. I think there's way more to it than that, but that's for another day. But anyways, the argument from desire, um, the most popular form of it is in mere Christianity. And he says that creatures are not born with desires unless objects for that desire exist. So you're hungry. There exists something called food that satisfies your hunger. Um, it even says, you know, we're created as sexual beings. Well, there's sex, and that satisfies that desire. So you have the desire, and then you have the thing that fulfills the desire. So then he takes another step, and he says that if I find in myself a desire that, that this world can't satisfy, the most probable conclusion is that I was made for another world. So it's not that the desire itself is a fraud. It's just that the things of this world were not meant to satisfy it. There's mm. some other object out there that right. was meant to satisfy that desire. Um, and this was a big idea that actually led to his conversion. It was an experience he was having, even in his atheism, that, that he just always felt like there was something more. When he experienced 
the beauty of nature or um, relationships or whatever. He just had this longing within him that there had to be something more to the world than what he was experiencing. Um, and he really thinks that that could be good a good argument for God and, and how the Christian worldview has a place to fit that desire. Um, so that that's the idea that I'm writing on. There hasn't been a ton of stuff written on it. There's been a lot written on it, but there's not been a lot of people that have devoted a full project to that argument. Right. Um, and I just find it fascinating just because of, especially because of the theological implications of that desire and what that can mean for being made in the image of God and, and, and mm-hmm. being created for relationship with him and what sort of connections could be made there. And, um, so yeah, that, that's the idea. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, Kind of related to that, um, obviously you deal a lot um, in your PhD process with his theology. You read a lot of Lewis. Mm-hmm. You deal with a lot of his theological, you know, uh, a lot of his theological claims. Are there is there anything in his theology? I mean, we have to talk about this because this is what people will, will a lot of our brothers and sisters. Yeah, I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are some views that he might he might have had that mm. we would say is maybe not heretical but we would say we would probably disagree with as conservative uh, southern baptist evangelicals in america in the 21st century so mm. i'm curious like what you, you did mention earlier you do disagree with some of the things cs Lewis yes said. So i want to I know what those are and hey look this is okay like it, i'm not bashing the dude i'm not saying he's yeah. we're not saying he's in hell yeah not neither one of us yeah. is saying that but yeah. I am curious, like, what um, what theological um, points would you differ with? Yeah, with him? yeah. So we, we, we've got to get out of this idea that because I like an author, I agree 100% with him. Right, right. You know, because you hear that, I hear that all the time at school. It's like, like oh, I'm reading this book. Oh, I like him. But, but then you have to caveat it. Well, this, this and this. I'm like, I get it. That doesn't, just because I like him doesn't mean I agree with him 100%. Right. You know, so, I mean... So the big one is that I think a lot of people don't like about Lewis is the accusation is that he's a universalist. Now this is another lesson. If we're going to critique somebody, that's perfectly fine, but we have to be fair in our critique. It's represent them well. Yes, like, I, absolutely. And, yeah, and this was one of the this is one of the research ends that I've done on Lewis even since I've been at seminary. There is nothing in Lewis that suggests that he was a universalist. That being said. There are some troublesome passages where he flirts with what's called, um, and for the listeners, universalism is the idea that everybody goes to heaven. He does not believe that. He very much believes in hell. That book, The Problem of Pain, there's a whole chapter in it on hell. Very much believes in hell. Right. He doesn't like that he believes in hell, but he believes in it. Right. Um, So, but he does flirt with what's called inclusivism. Now, inclusivism says not everybody goes to heaven, but you can still go to heaven even if you're not a Christian. Okay. So you can find God through other avenues other than Christianity, but not everybody still will. Does that make sense? Yeah, right, right. So he flirts with that idea a little bit, and that is troubling to me. Right. Um, Now, the reason I don't call him an inclusivist is because he never comes down hard on it and is never, this is what I believe to be true. Right. He's just saying, again, the value of charity is very big to Lewis. And not charity in the sense of I'm giving money to an organization. Charity in the sense of I'm being as gracious with other people as I possibly can in my thought, in my action. Um, And I think that is the value that's at play here I think it takes him to some dangerous possibilities. Right. In that what he's saying is, look, maybe somebody is honestly seeking God, but they never hear about Christianity, but God being gracious is going to honor that seeking and let them in anyway. Right. That's and it's and it's all speculative in his writing. It's all speculative. Yeah. And I think the charity thing is what gets him there. Now, that's troubling to me. Because I know what Christ, that what Scripture teaches is that nobody comes to God except through Jesus. Right. And here's the thing. Lewis believes that. Lewis says, 
I cannot remember the passage, but he says, look, maybe this is what happens. However, the only thing I know for sure is that those who go to heaven are Christians. He knows that you are saved if you believe in Christianity. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm not going to leave it to chance with these people. I want them to come into Christianity. Right. So he still... He doesn't let that lead to the conclusion of letting people let let people be what they want. He never comes to that conclusion. It's no, I want to be sure, so I want them to be in Christianity. Right. Which is the only reason I let him get by with it. If he didn't if he didn't have that caveat, I would be like, dude, that's a big problem. And it still is a big problem even the way he lays it out, because that that flirtation just makes me nervous. <laughs> right. Right. right? Yeah. So that that's the big one. Right. Um, he's not as sola scriptura well, yeah, as, Anglican, as so. us Calvinists would be. Yeah. So well, or let's say... As us evangelicals would be. There you go. There you go. Because it's not just... Yes. As a, yeah, sorry. That's yeah, fair. Yeah. As us evangelicals would be. That's a good... Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm. I promise. I'm not that Calvinist. I think you can. <laughs> I think you can be saved and not be a Calvinist. Speak for yourself. Yeah. I'm joking. I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm... But so, I wish he would be a little more tethered to the text, to use the John Piper phrase. Um, and then I said he does believe in hell, but he also says if he could get rid of one doctrine in Christianity, he'd get rid of hell. I get the sentiment. That's also still problematic to me because then what do you do with sin? And what do you do with sinners? Right. And the whole point of the, the, the gracious side of hell is that God is sparing his children from that. Right. You right. know, and, and and this is what we're saved from. That 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 is that is the ultimate end of um our rebellion. I mean, he even says about hell, it's brilliant. He says C. S. Lewis says, Sin is Man telling God, leave me alone. And hell is God telling man, okay. Yeah. I'm not laughing at that. No, I mean, that's, it's, that's it's just like a, I'm laughing yeah. in it. It's yeah. clever. It's, that's, it's a, very, that's a great yeah. way to describe it. No, that, I like that. Yeah. That yeah. hell is the ultimate end to the sin nature in us seeking a life without God. Right. And we're being spared. And now we know what that, that is and we're being spared from it. Um, so I get a sentiment because it's, I mean, yeah, hell's a tough doctrine. But it's also still a nervous, makes me nervous to say that you'd want to get rid of it. Right. It's like, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable yes. because it's, if you do try to get rid of it, it yeah. leads to other worse issues. Yeah, I think. it opens up, but, there, there's a whole lot behind that and, and, but that's to be expected. And I can be, and another, again, I can be gracious with Lewis because Lewis, Lewis is not a trained theologian. He's just a layman trying to think through these things as best he can. He's a very brilliant layman, but he's a layman nonetheless. Right. You know, I, I feel like most people don't treat him as such, though. They abs- no, no. They see him as an authority. Right. You know, because he's so popular and because he articulates himself so well. But right. Lewis has no formal theological training. Yeah. He never went to seminary. Wow. No. He didn't go to Southwestern? Didn't go to Southwestern. I mean, Southwestern was he around, actually. He didn't go to actually. London Theological Seminary or whatever. <laughs> or I don't Spurgeon know, but, College. Spurgeon College. Yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't go to anything. He so. should have. He should have studied yeah, Spurgeon. But, but he still... He, Wait, he, 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 but I mean, Spurgeon died, I think, before. Well, either way, he did, but yeah, yeah he, he knew his Bible and uh, he knew he knew biblical Greek, he knew biblical Hebrew, okay. he read the Bible in the original languages, yeah, but he knew, man. Well, layman back then probably did that, yeah, a lot. Well, know? I mean, he was just he's just a, he's he's just a, a scholar, yeah. so he's gonna yeah. he's gonna do that, but. And he knows. I mean, he already knew Latin because of his medieval training. Right. And, he had to know and all of that. that. So he yeah. knew his he knew his scripture well enough to where when he went to church, he has a seat. They have the seat marked off in the church that he went to where he sat. He sat at an angle to where he couldn't see the pulpit, but he did it so that the pastor couldn't see him. There's this pillar in the middle of the <laughs> okay. pew, so yeah. the pastor couldn't see him. So when the pastor made a point that he that he didn't think was right, he would always he couldn't help it. He always like cringe. He would just be like, oh, that's not, no. <laughs> but he didn't want the pastor to see that and get right. discouraged. So right. he sat behind the pillar. That's very charitable. <laughs> yes. It's like, again. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, going back to what you said about, you know, his flirtation with inclusivism, uh, or in- inclusive. Inclusivism. Inclusive, yeah, inclusivism. Yeah. You know, um, you know, he kind of thought with, you know, if there's someone out there that is truly seeking God, but they never find Christ. Mm-hmm. They're just they're they're very genuine. The thing is that we know what the Bible says. No one seeks after God. No mm-hmm. one is righteous. No one, no one is good. 
Um, none of us. We've all gone astray. I mean, there's yes. no, not one of us that has sought God. Yes. Uh, on our own. Well, and I think um, or apart, yeah. apart from from the gospel. Yeah, I think the important distinction to make is and this is going to play into my dissertation. That's why I think it's important. Is nobody seeks God properly. People seek. There is, um, and I think I think I think I can stand on this biblically is that sin does not the destroy the the image of God that's on you. Right. And I think that image wants to be reconnected with the image it was created in, which is God. So the image is seeking. And people are seeking. People always ask questions about the meaning of life, and right. the, the the problem is, is the sin nature has distorted that so much, is that they'll they'll never, in their own power, come to the right conclusion, and they'll always, as Roman says, trade creation for cre- creator yeah. for creation, yeah. And, yeah, and, 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 and and that's and that's the problem with inclusivism is that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't properly understand God. You know, and, and that's the trouble of it is that people can't have these honest longings of, I want to know what's true. Right, right. But absolutely. The, but on but in their own power, it's not going to be possible for them to reach yeah. that, and that's the trouble of it. They never find the path. Yeah. To God. Exactly. Or whatever. They yeah. never find Christ, who is the exactly. way to, to to the Father. Exactly. Um, as Scripture says. So yeah, that's um that's interesting. So I know we've I think we've touched on sola scriptura with C.S. Lewis his his mm. um relationship to that um did he agree with inerrancy would he reject that you know i, I i'm not sure uh, again because he's not as because he's not as big on the bible as i am i don't want to say he's not i mean he lewis is very scriptural i mean the problem of pain 99% of the footnotes in The Problem of Pain are just scripture passages. So right. This is where I'm getting this idea. Right. So he's building his... He understands that the faith is built off of scripture. But I don't I don't know how he would understand it, but my guess is he doesn't understand inerrancy in the way that we do. Okay. As evangelicals. I want to say that he fully trusts what scripture says. But there might... I'm, I, I don't know is the short answer. There might be some interesting takes on actually how that works out. Or you probably have some theories. Yeah, I don't know specifically but, because I haven't yeah. looked into it that yeah. that part okay. of Lewis that much. But um, I would imagine there might be some quirks there. Okay, gotcha. Okay, that's that's fair. Um, and like you know, he's Anglican, so you know his view yeah. of ecclesiology and the church. Yeah, like is probably a little. Yeah, he was very. He was. A, he, high church. Yeah, he very much appreciated tradition. He was very high church, yeah. Because which I, I I like that too. I'm very, I'm which very, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, I'm totally cool with that. Um, so I guess it's, I so obviously he's Protestant though. He's uh, sure Anglicans are, I, I believe yeah they're, yeah they're they're. I mean, if you're not Protestant. Catholic, you're Protestant. Yeah, yeah. Pretty if you're much. not Catholic or Orthodox, you're Protestant. Basically, I mean, yeah. essentially, yeah. Um, except those uh, those Anabaptists, kind of, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Anyway, we but, don't want to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, the importance of church history. Go back and listen to my previous uh, episode there. But no, um, so like his view of the Reformation, I guess. I guess that would be my next question. Like, would he be- uh, affirm the five solas? Except, you know, we already talked about Sola Scriptura. How maybe? Mm, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how he would have affirmed those. I know he was. He read the reformers. He read Calvin. He read Luther. He knew these guys. He knew that. I mean, he read Lewis. It's funny because I said Lewis has no formal theological training, and that's true. It doesn't mean he doesn't have theological training. It's just not formal. Right, right. Lewis read the church. I mean, Lewis loved the church fathers. He loved Augustine and Justin and Irenaeus. And he read the reformers. He read enlightenment people. He, I mean, he read because Lewis... Lewis had a term called theological or chronological snobbery. Mm, yeah. Oh, good. Lewis yeah. was not big on the idea that because something's newer, it's more true. Right. So right. Lewis was always, and, and this might be something that the the Sola Scriptura kind of explains it a little better. Lewis was always comparing what he believed not only with the Bible, he was comparing it with what Christians before him how they understood it. So he would probably, 
as much as we respect tradition, he probably held it closer to the to the biblical authority. Maybe not all the way than right, he would, same, and that's yeah. probably where some where some of the differences is going to come, because he he, I mean he even I mean his reading advice he wrote the introduction to, I mean obviously the later edition of Athanasius on the Incarnation. Okay, yeah. yeah. And he wrote the introduction. The introduction is called On the Reading of All Books. And he says, this is why you should read this. And not only this book, but all these other books, is that for every new book you read, you should read two older ones. Right, yeah. And always keep yourself, don't isolate yourself in the era that you find yourself in. I think it's one of my favorite things that that C.S. Lewis has contributed in in a way, in in um, his point of chronological uh, snobbery. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite aspects of his thinking is is pointing that out i know it's a simple it may be possibly a obvious obvious point but i think it's very true and very helpful i don't especially i don't to, think i think we live in a culture that I mean, we're even seeing it in the church that for two thousand years the church has believed this but we figured it out now right there's a lot of hot button issues right. that are being different and and i think lewis would it's kind of affecting me because of reading Lewis is that when somebody comes up with a new idea in 2021, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I want to check with everybody else first and say, is it, is it so utterly different from what we've understood? That's going to be some, that's going to be a red flag for me. Right. And it, it should be. I mean, you should, if something is, if, the, if there's a new take on theology, a new, a new yeah. theory, um, then yeah. yep, it might be heresy. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, just that yeah, not everybody, not everybody in church history agreed on right, everything. Right, they very much disagreed on things. But you read enough of it, and maybe you talked about this in your podcast. I'm ashamed to say I haven't listened to it yet. But I'm gonna cry. There's That's yeah, it. Uh, there's this. We have to delete. Yeah, this. I'm sorry, but no, I'm, you I'm you, you read enough church yeah. history, and you start to realize there's there's a generic thread that goes through that that you can kind of figure out the guardrails of what. Christianity yeah. probably right. understands the core what of what it is. Christianity is yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in its essence. Yeah. Right. So, and I, I know, you know, we kind of touched on this earlier, so this might be, you might point back to something you've said earlier and repeat it, and that's fine. Um, but why has C.S. Lewis impacted Christianity the way he has? I mean, we're in the year 2021. C.S. Lewis still remains one of the most popular. Mm-hmm. Um, literary figures of modern uh, modern times mm-hmm. and so like why is that the case mm-hmm. um yeah yeah and i think it's i mean for me it's just really two two thing two key ideas and i think we even talked about them on our progressive christianity podcast the idea of thinking well and, and speaking well and thinking thinking well in that you're slowing down you're really thinking through what you're believing what you're saying what somebody else is saying you're thinking very slowly very carefully about that and then you are articulating your thoughts even more carefully and more clearly and i think lewis does that better than almost anybody i've ever read okay and i yeah, think he's yeah. a he's his value especially um is going to be in the lessons of proper thinking and proper communication, not just in mm-hmm. what he's saying, but how he's saying mm-hmm. it is going to be as much value because he, Lewis, Lewis was one of the first people, honestly, to predict the world we're in now. Okay. Like he wrote, if you read the abolition of man, uh, it, it's a, it is a warning against postmodernism, postmodern education. Right. Now and it's, it's, it's yeah. yeah. I mean, he even wrote, so there, one of his books called God in the dock, which is just a collection of his essays. There's an essay in there called Bulverism. And okay. It's a word that he came up with. Um, he, he tells this, he opens it up with this fictional story of a kid named Eddie Bulver. That's where the word comes from. He's listening to his parents argue over um, like the Pythagorean theorem or something. The A, a squared plus B squared equals C squared. And his dad is explaining to his mom that A squared plus B squared equals C squared. It's just a mathematical truth. It is a reality. Right, right. And his mom responds, this is how his mom responds, and I quote, Oh, you just say that because you're a man. Does that sound familiar? Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, just, and, yeah. and Lewis says at that moment, a light bulb went off in little Eddie Bulver's mind. Eddie Bulver understood that he did not have to answer the objection. He just had to identify 
where the objection was coming from. And he could, and he goes, because he did this, Eddie Bulmer became one of the rulers of the 20th century. Wow. And, and is that not That's so, the world we live in today? Right, right. Where I, mean, I don't have to deal with the argument. It's, no, you're just saying that because you're this. C.S. Lewis would have a field day on Twitter. On fa- I mean, for many reasons. But just in life. In he would general. not have Twitter, but if he did, he would tweet one thing. And he would just say, I called it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean... I told you so. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's good. Because that, that that's the world we're living in. Right. Is that I don't have to deal with the argument. I just have to say, right. well, you're just saying that because you are this identity. You're this right. gender. You're this ethnicity. You're this belief system. You're this political party. Therefore, right. I don't have to deal with it. And it really comes down to uh, being sentimental. I yeah. I mean, that's the... the, the the core issue there is the person just wants to be sent- sentimental and is seeking that senti- sentimental um, attitude directed towards her. So the the late the wife in that Sen- story sentimental sentimental and, sentimental as well. Do you whatever. mean sympathetic? Well, no, like being sentimental. Sen- sentimental, yeah, like being sentimental, like being having um, having a particular emotional attraction to or emotional okay, uh, desire towards. Okay, I see. Um, so, so yeah, like that when when we're talking about that that kind of response that yeah. C.S. Lewis wrote about is is he is pointing out that I, th- I don't think he's obviously saying it in this these words, but it, it definitely seems like he's pointing towards there's some type of emotional emotional pull that the wife is is seeking after mm-hmm. in in her in her response like oh you're just a man like yeah. that's an emotional argument basically yeah it's yeah because i don't like where you're coming from and because i don't have an answer for it right i'm going to deal with this this aspect of yeah. it and it, i mean i mean that's just if that is not a picture of the 21st century written in the 1940s I mean, the the man right. was a, the man was a prophet just for that one alone, in my <laughs> yeah. opinion. Yeah, I want to say, okay, it's not just women saying that; it's not inherently. No, yeah, no, that again, that I can't see, and we have to caveat it. I know, I know, because of the problem that he wrote about. No, people like I, I'm not. I don't know if any of the listeners would would say, "Oh, Jared, you're a sexist for saying that," mm-hmm. uh, you know, pointing that out. But no. really, I mean, it's not women. Yeah. It's but it's that's men. again, that's something Lewis taught me because because I mean, all of us are tempted by that. Well, of course. So and so is going to say that they're uh, whatever. Yeah. Well, regardless of what they are, this is what they said. Is that right or is that wrong? Right. You know, an idiot can still say something right. pretty profound. Like you know, the the, val- the validity of an argument is not based in one's identity. It's not. Yeah. It's based yeah. on logic and reason and biblical truth. Is truth no yeah. matter who's saying it. Exactly. Yeah. It's not. It's not tied to identity, and and I don't know where we. Yeah. But I think I think that's anyway. where. That's where, um, man, somebody needs to write a book about that essay. Um, that's hey, might, particularly, yeah, you yeah I'll just go ahead and have at it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's where, that's something that Lewis can really help us understand is that he really saw a lot of this coming. I didn't even think, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Like, that's, that's another thing about this conversation. It's so cool. I, I didn't know that. Like, it's crazy how many guys, like, I mean, it's not just C.S. Lewis. There's many guys that, like, really, predicted where we're at today they saw the signs yeah and i would love to hear because because they're thinking carefully they saw what was happening in their day and go whoa yeah here's the problem is that you do this and that ends up here which ends up here which ends up here and that's a big problem right right yeah and so i guess this brings us to our maybe Maybe not last. We can talk about more things, of course, um, if if we if you would like to. Um, but the last question I really have for us today, for tonight, is you know how can Christians really benefit from the works, the life, the ministry, if that's what you want to call it, the ministry of C.S. Lewis? Um, I mean, you can even just start with what we just you know got yeah. talking about. But well, I mean, he, I mean, he's dead now, so all you got to do is read him, right? You know, so. Um, they are making a Netflix series out of Narnia, so you can do that. But um, <laughs> you, do, yeah, you can watch that. Yeah, right. I'm very excited about that, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, just I I encourage I encourage anyone and everyone to read him. Um, he's we talk about how clear he is, and I will I will admit that our day and age we're just far enough removed from his era that some of the lingo is a little bit hard to follow. I said he's not he's not he's deep, but he doesn't write complex, but he writes dense. 
So that's going to be a difficulty if if you haven't read a lot of people like Lewis before. If if you've read, I'm not going to name anybody because I don't want to attack anybody. But if you've read most popular level Christian books, C.S. Lewis is going to feel like an academic book, even though right, even though it's not because the age because because of the age and because it's so dense in that there's no wasted sentence, there's no fluff. He's getting to the point and he's building it, but he's doing it. In very simple terms, there's not there's not a lot of big words. There's not a lot of complex structure to it, but you have to pay attention every single sentence. And if you do that, he will do the work for you. And he, I think, he can really teach you a lot about. Yeah. I mean, mere Christianity is one of the best apologetics I've ever read. I mean, he starts at it's pure atheism and ends up. He doesn't. It ends up. The, you know, one of my critiques of apologetics is that they argue for theism, not for Christianity. And that's a problem for me. Um, I think you can argue for theism, but you need to argue for Christian theism. Yeah. Specifically. Right, right. Um, but that's a conversation for another day. Precept. So, yeah, yeah, yeah that's what that's what okay. people call yeah. it. Yeah. Presuppositionalism, that's a particular apologetic uh, epistemology. It's a epistem- epistemological uh, issue and mm-hmm. also a um, yeah. apologetic uh, yeah, issue but too. I mean, you don't even. I mean, there's more to it. That you don't even have to be. Pre- I mean, you can be any sort of method of apologetics right. as long as you end up at Christianity specifically, and right. and mere Christianity does that. It goes from atheism to theism to Christianity, and it's brilliant the way he does it. Yeah. Um. So be a great starting point or Narnia if you got kids, you can read Narnia with them. And dude, I mean, I know Narnia is a children's book, but dude, there's some gold in those things. There's some right. really, I mean, I'm 28 and I've read them multiple times and I'm still learning stuff. Yeah, from them. I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't read them in a little while. I've read them all um, and I still, like, I remember them. Re- I yeah. remember them. I remember a, a lot of the content within yeah. them. Uh, I remember the story. And just so it, it's, it yeah. has stuck with me yeah. personally. No, there, there's some real gold in those. But yeah, I mean, his books are out there. They're at any, I mean, there, he's got a whole shelf at Barnes and Noble in the Christian section. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I yeah. mean, they're that they're out there, and they're not super expensive. I I would highly encourage anybody to read them, and if you read them and you like them and you want to talk about them, then by all means, let me know. That's what I love to do. And he does. He loves to do that. And um, even for someone like me, that you know, I have other interests. Uh, we I think we have similar interests, me and you, Clayton. But um, you know, my focus is more on on uh, church history and, and Pentecostalism. Right. Uh, that's kind of more been my interest um, as of late. But I still enjoy talking uh, to Clayton about uh, C.S. Lewis. I, I enjoy uh, discussing these things with you. So um, thank you for being on the podcast tonight to talk about this. It's always a pleasure. Um, and we'll try to do this soon again, hopefully. Um, we got a few other ideas of future topics for you to come on. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, before we... Before I kind of shut things down, um, do you want to maybe say anything else about C.S. Lewis? Is there anything else about his life that you want to bring up? Um, just something we haven't talked about that you that we just didn't cover. Uh, well, uh, there's I mean there's plenty of stuff, but I'll just close with I think if Lewis I think if Lewis were were here, he would want to close with with a thought, and he would want to encourage people to um, what he would say is keep alive the desire for their true country. And especially in a in a world like ours, um, there's frankly a lot of similarities between our world and his world. He was writing during the World War II, and people were hopeless and not knowing what to happen. We're in a pandemic era, and people are like, "What in the world is going on?" And, right. and I think Lewis would just say, "Keep at it," you know. If, um, but you know, keep your eyes. I think a Hebrew says, "Keep your eyes fixed on the author of our faith." And um, I think he would, you know, he closes mere Christianity with. Um, look for yourself and in the long run you'll only find despair and hopelessness and a bunch of other things but look for christ and you'll find him and with him everything else that you've been looking for um so Amen. i think that would be appropriate yeah. clo- clo- something that that jack would want us to close with but if i get going too much i won't stop so i'll let it go from there <laughs> yeah well that was that that'll preach that's good so cool i mean i thank you for again for for being able to i've learned I mean, just even in this conversation, I've learned a lot about C.S. Lewis. Uh, you know, it, maybe a lot of our listeners here, are, they've they've they know a lot about him. Maybe they know a lot about his life and a lot about his works. But hopefully, you've learned more 
uh, about him after listening to this conversation. So, so thank you, Clive. I know he can't hear us. I mean, I don't know. Uh, that's a different discussion whether people in heaven can hear us or not. I don't think they, they can. A, yeah. I don't think yeah. they can. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. you know, what a, what a discussion. Uh, if, yeah. if Clive was here, I would say thank you, Clive. Appreciate your your contribution to Christianity and apologetics. And yeah, he would puff other. on his pipe and say, "You're welcome." Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, all right. Well, I hope you guys have a great week. Uh, pray that the Lord blesses you. So, until next time, we'll see you later.